All right, church, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Uh, If you weren't here last week, uh, you missed uh, the start of our series that we'll be tracking together through uh, for the next four months. And so we're going to be spending the next four months together as a faith family uh, diving deep into the book uh, of Colossians. And so uh, we'll spend four months in it and we still won't even scratch the surface of the glories and the beauties uh, that's found in this uh, letter um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so if you missed last week, um, you kind of missed some of our introduction, and so I won't go back and re-preach all of that. But I do want to remind you of some of the reasons we would do something like this. Why uh, are we taking four months to go in bite-sized chunks uh, through a letter like this, through a book? Why do we do that? And so here at this church, we're committed uh, to what we call uh, expositional preaching, which means whatever's in the text, we want to bring out. We're committed that God knows what we need more than we know what we need. Amen? Like He knows what we need. So we're committed to preach this book and preach through the book, uh, books of the Bible. And so we'll be take, taking our time uh, through the book of Colossians together. And so we're committed to that type of preaching, but we're also committed to a daily pursuit of Jesus on our own. So I pray that the only, uh, I pray that this is not true of any of us in this room, that the only um, con- consumption of the Word of God is what you get in here on a Sunday morning. I pray that you are hungry and digging for the Word throughout the week because you have the Spirit of God in you. You can pursue the things of God. You can hear from God. You don't need a pastor like me to stand up and preach to you. You can understand the truths of the Bible yourself. And so dig deep. Dig deep. And we want to help you with that. So part of our job uh, as your pastors is to come alongside you and equip you for this work. And so we have these cards out available at the hub as you exit out. I invite you to pick one of these up if you haven't already. If you'd rather download them online, you can get that at tcbchurch.org slash Colossians. All the notes and stuff will be on there as well. But what we've done is we've laid out a reading plan uh, for all of us. And so it's really simple. Monday, we read chapter 1. Tuesday, we read chapter 2. Wednesday, we read chapter 3, and then Thursday, we read chapter 4 of Colossians. And we're just going to repeat that week after week after week, all the way up until uh, July. And then on Friday, there's a cross-reference, because we believe Scripture interprets itself. And so there's a cross-reference that we will study on Friday. And then on Saturday, the reading is whatever text that we'll be preaching from on the weekend gatherings. So that way you're going deep before you hear me or one of our teaching team preach that. You can go deep on it on Saturday morning. And then on Sunday morning is a catch-up day, because let's be honest, we probably all need catch-up days. And uh, it's also a day to work on the memory verse. And so throughout the next four months, we as a church family are committing to memorize five different uh, passages in the book of Colossians together. Because God tells us to hide His Word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We want to abide in Jesus by getting his word down deep in us. That's the secret to walking with Jesus, is to walk in his word. So if you haven't picked these up, please do so. On the back of this card are some questions to ask to help you in your study. So you say, Derek, I'm reading the same chapter every week. Like, will that get boring? And we would say, no, God's word is not boring. And we, we want to give you some questions to say, uh, what, what questions do I ask as I come to the truths of God's Word? How can I make sense of what I'm reading? Because the Bible says something that's true, and we want to mine that truth out. We're not as concerned with what the text means to us as we are to what does the text mean? What did the Holy Spirit mean 
when he wrote this book. And so that's the pursuit that we're going to be on together over the next four months, uh, to, to pursue Jesus by pursuing his word. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1, okay? And so some of you guys are nervous that we're here last week, because I took an hour to go through the first phrase of the first verse, okay? But I promise uh, we won't spend too terribly long in these first eight verses. And so um, the words will be up on the screen. I hope that you have your word open um, on your lap as well. But let's read the first two verses uh, and dive in uh, to what God wants to say to us as we really begin our study in Colossians this morning. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. This is what Tanner just uh, read us just a few moments ago. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So, just a couple statements uh, to try to understand some of the background. So, this is not going to be too, like, revival kind of stuff. We're going to look at some of the background to understand uh, the context of this book, who wrote this book, and what was happening in the world as he wrote this letter to this church here at uh, Colossae. So first, let's look, who is the author? Who does it say is the author of this book? Paul, all right? So, Paul. Well, last week we looked at how he became an apostle. So an apostle is one who speaks on behalf of God with the authority of God. He is one who has seen the resurrected Christ. And so we looked about last week of how that happened in Paul's life. That he used to be Saul. And he was a murderer, murderer of Christians. He was the greatest enemy of the church. And God says, I'm going to take that person. I'm going to redeem him. I'm going to save him. I'm going to show him my grace. And that grace is going to convict him. That grace is going to humble him. That grace is going to redeem him to go to all nations and proclaim the name of Christ. He takes the church's greatest enemy and turns him into the greatest missionary that the church has ever seen. That is what God can do. That's what his grace does. When you encounter the resurrected Christ, we are never the same. Never the same. And so this guy is writing. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is not my will. This is the will of the Father that I'm submitting to. And so now he's been in prison. We looked last week at how this whole journey with Paul started. But now Paul is in prison. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And this is around eighty sixty. So it's about 60 years after the coming of Christ. And so he's writing in a jail cell, likely in Rome. And he's writing to some churches to say, from the Holy Spirit, to say, this is what it's going to look like to be the church. So I may be in chains, but the word of God is not in chains. Amen? No matter what's happening in circumstances, this is what's going to go forth. And so he's writing to this church at Colossae to say, here's what life looks like. And he says a, a common greeting that he does for so many of his New Testament letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So here's what he's saying. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. Apart from works, you can't deserve it. You can never earn it. Grace. And peace. What is peace? It's the word shalom. Holistic flourishing. So what Christ offers us is this grace that says it's apart from your works, all about Jesus' work, what he's accomplished. And what he has accomplished is a holistic flourishing in who we are as individuals as humans that it's not just about praying a prayer and going to heaven when we die it is about being restored fully into the image of jesus he says grace to you and peace holistic flourishing holistic restoration into the image 
of the Father. So he writes that, he says that prayer to this church at Colossae. At Colossae. And so, again, I just want to make a statement here because I know so many people in our culture today would say that there's no more need for the local church. Like, we're all about the church global, but there's no need for us to gather together locally like this. And one of the reasons we believe that we gather together, there's, there's value in coveting together with members of one another. And it's not just about the church global, but it is about the church local as well. It's because you see this rhythm and this pattern throughout the New Testament. The church is, this is a church at Colossae. It's the church, and it's bigger than Colossae, but there's a group of believers gathered together at Colossae. So it's the church at Tri-Cities. It's the church in Johnson City. It's bigger than any one fellowship, but there is a, a uniting around um, a common purpose and a common membership. You see that um, here. And so to understand what God is writing to the church at Colossae, we have to understand something about Colossae. You say, Derek, we didn't come for a history lesson, man. We came to hear a sermon. But, but listen, if we don't understand the background of Colossae, what was happening in history around these people and this writing, we're going to miss some of the implications for us today. So we've got to understand something about this city. And so Colossae, listen, was a small trade town in Asia Minor. So where's Asia Minor? That's, think modern-day Turkey is where this is taking place. And so again, if you're here today, and you're not really a believer, you're, maybe you're a skeptic, and you're wondering if the claims of Jesus and the Bible are true, I just want to point out that these are real people at a real point in time in history, and these are real cities. Like, we can take you to these places on the map. Like, these are actual places in the world. Um, and so he's writing to this church in modern-day Turkey. Um, and listen, it's an obscure town. Some of the, the, the letters Paul writes to are some big kind of metropolitan areas. This is a really, really small town that's typically forgotten. This is a little trade town. And I think a, a principle we can learn is, listen, God is at work everywhere. He's at work everywhere. And what we're about to learn is that God is using this church to spread the gospel to all nations. So in a little place like Johnson City, Tennessee, it's like, is anything kingdom happening in this town? And oh yes, like the kingdom is at work and God is, is moving even in a place like this. Even in a place like Irwin. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Like God is at work He's at work everywhere. He's at work at the remotest village around this world. That God's kingdom is, is growing, it's advancing. But he's writing this little, small, obscure town of believers made up here. And, and, and to understand Colossae then, we've got to understand Rome. All right, so hang with me, hang with me. We've got to understand Rome. So this little city is in the midst of the Roman Empire uh, of that day. And so we, we, I don't know if you know anything about Rome, but Rome was one of the great, great empires. I mean, we're all about... We have some politicians today that may say we're going to make America great again. I mean, Rome was great. Like, Rome was great. Let's just listen to this. The territory spans 4,200 miles across. And so I think America is like, what, 3,300 miles across? I mean, a big territory. We're talking India to England. It was Rome's territory. I mean, a lot. Big, big kingdom. Um, The duration of this kingdom was 1,500 years. I mean, America has been uh, in existence for 238 years this year. And we think we've been around forever, right? <laughs> 1,500 years. I mean, they're a powerful nation. And what they've done is they have such modern advancements. I mean, they're, they're really, really um, advanced for that day. So have you ever heard of the Roman roads, right? All roads lead to where? The Rome. They had over 50,000 roads that all went into Rome. And what that did was it resulted in an interconnectedness. Listen, this is important. 
an interconnectedness of all of these cultures that they never had before. Now people are get to be, uh, it's a globalization of that day. So the modern day equivalent would be like our internet. So at a click of a button, in many of our pockets, we have iPhones, that we can just click a button and get any information from all over uh, the world. And we are so connected as a result of it. It shrank the world. It shrank the world. And then Rome is also known for the Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome. So although it was a bloody history, they had peace among the empire. They had these rules and these regulations that they had figured out how to have systems and processes. They were at great peace. This was a uh, powerful, powerful nation. She said, Eric, why are you telling us all that? It's a great little history lesson. What does that have anything to do with God's word this morning? You've got to understand, Paul is writing to a church in that cultural context. And the kind of the hope of that day would say, put your hope in Rome. Hail Caesar. Caesar is Lord. He's like, he was the king, the president of that day. Like, it's all about him. Our hope is found there. And Paul is writing. So why did Paul write this letter? Well, he got word that he's in prison from this guy named Epaphras. We'll read about him in a second. He got word while he's in prison to say, listen, there's crept into this church some heresy. So they're no longer believing true doctrine. There's a, there's a temptation to believe lies. And one of those lies was your hope is found in Rome. Your hope is found in the greatness of your country. And if that's not where we are today, that is, if there's no p- p- uh, parallels for where we are today. Um, your hope is not in Washington. <laughs> Amen? It's not. It's not in whatever happens next November. This November. It's not in, our hope is not there. And so Paul's writing to say, yeah, you're in the midst of all of this happening, and that is not where your hope is to be found. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what he says. Jesus is Lord. And he's refuting the, uh, another heresy. And so as a result of all of this interconnectedness, they began to say, okay, Jesus is still our main God. Like we're still worshiping Jesus. But my neighbor over here that's kind of worshiping another God, I like the way that he sees prayer. And then I got a neighbor over here, and I like the way he sees morality. And so I'm not going to leave Jesus. I'm just going to take all of these different religions and take what I like out of all these religions and just kind of squeeze it into one big weird mold. And we're going to worship what makes sense to us. And so, listen, we're going to ignore the parts about the gospel that we don't like and take the parts that we do and we're going to take the parts of all these other religions that we like and leave the parts that we don't and we're going to make our own religion it's called syncretism that's what happened in this church they were tempted to walk away from the full counsel of god and to say we're going to add and take away for what makes sense to us what's comfortable for us and again church is that not relevant for where we are today we live in a culture that says truth is relative It's really whatever you want it to be. There's no absolute authority that we rest our lives on and that we're going to just take whatever uh, makes sense to us. And so, listen, if we do that, what we have done is we are no longer creating a God whom we are made in His image. We're making a God made in our image. God help us. That there's truth that we must surrender to. And so Paul is writing this church saying, listen, it matters what you believe. It matters what you believe. Your theology, what you believe about God. Listen, church. Your theology, what you believe about God, will determine your life. And it will determine how you live. So make no mistake about it, guys. Listen, 
if we do not get our theology right, we'll never get our lives right. It matters what we believe. Like, so you say, well, I'm not about theology. I don't want to believe theology. I'm all about whatever it is that we would be about. And listen, none of us cannot have a belief about God. If you don't submit yourself to the truth of God's word, if we don't do that together as a faith family, we all are going to believe something about God. It's just going to be wrong <laughs> if we don't submit ourselves to the truths of Scripture. So he's talking to their wrong theology and their wrong morality, and he's saying, you know what he says to both of those things? You know how he answers both of those dilemmas in the church? You know what he says? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. Your theology's wrong, so I'm going to hold up Jesus and let you see. That's why we've named this series, The Glories of Christ. Because when you see the glories of Christ, literally, listen, all of the other glories of this world fade. When you want us to get our theology right, we say, look to Jesus. You say, how are we supposed to live in this world and in this culture and this climate of our day? And we say, Jesus. Embrace Jesus. And so kind of the, the theme of, of the next four months, and I pray it's the theme of our church for the rest of our existence, is that Jesus is better. I don't think y'all believe it. I'm going to say it one more time. And we... Jesus is better. Amen. He's better than whatever our souls can run to. He's better. And John Calvin would say that our hearts are idol factories. You know what an idol is, right? Anything that we would look to other than God to find our significance and our worth. And our hearts are just cranking out these idols to look to anything that we can to find worth and significance and approval. And what we want to say is, again, we want to hold out God's word and say, no, it's Jesus. It's only Jesus. What do we want to be about as a faith family? If somebody were to say, what is Trusty's Baptist Church all about? We want them to say, Jesus. We're all about Jesus and seeing him worshiped and him praised and him on display. We said this last week, but we believe, we're convinced around here that Jesus is incomparably glorious. Incomparably glorious. Nothing compares to him. And to walk away from him is incomprehensibly absurd. It doesn't make sense. Like, if you see Jesus, why would you walk away? So if we're walking away, if we're not worshiping, if we're tempted to believe all these things, maybe, just maybe, the problem is we haven't got a good enough glimpse of Jesus. So God, give us eyes to see Jesus. And what we want to do is be faithful to, as Paul does to this church at Colossae, we want to hold out Jesus and say, look to him. See the glories of Christ. He's everything. He's everything. So let's jump in, shall we, to actually the text. That was two verses. Sorry. Um, so we say the gospel is central here. It's not the ABCs. It's the A to the Z. Okay? It's everything. So the gospel is not just something that we pray a prayer and we go on to something else. So think about it like this. Pastor J.D. Greer, as a pastor in Raleigh, he says it like this all the time. The gospel is not the diving board. The gospel is the pool. Meaning, we don't just begin in the gospel and go deeper into something else. No, no, no. The diving board is repentance and faith. And we go deeper into the gospel. So listen, church, we will never grow beyond our need for Jesus. We only grow deeper into our need for Jesus. And so we go deeper and deeper and deeper preaching the full counsel of God, but seeing that this Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about him from cover to cover. There's one hero of this book, and his name is Jesus. 
And so we want to see him. So we, a, a, a value that drives us as a church, that drives us, is gospel centrality, that Jesus is supreme. He's everything. And we want to hold him out. And so I'm arguing that this is what Paul does as he writes this, this letter. And so we're going to see that today. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. So what do we learn about the gospel? I have five things. And you say, oh, goodness, five points. He's going to be here forever. And we probably will be. Hope you brought a snack. We're going to be here for a while. Here's our first statement uh, together. The gospel is more about God than it is about us. The gospel is more about God than it is about us. You say, Derek, where are you getting that? Well, first, uh, we see the triune God in this passage. Father is in verse 3. He prays to the Father. The Son is in verse 3 and verse 4. And then the Spirit is down in verse 7, that we are to love in the Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead on display in these eight verses. So we believe in this triune God. We just read that together as the Apostles' Creed. Uh, one essence, but three in persons. We believe in one God, but he's exist- he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. You say, Derek, I don't understand that. You say, I don't really understand that either. And there's mystery there. But in the mystery, there's worship. Because I don't want a God that I can explain and put into a box. like this. He's so much bigger than anything that we can fathom. So we see the full uh, triune God at work here in this gospel. And so then verse 3, that's why he says about that God, verse 3, we always think who? All right, one of y'all are awake, so let's all read this together. We always think God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always think God. So what he's about to do is he's about to talk about the Colossians and about their faith. But he's not going to brag on the Colossians. He's not going to say, here, you guys are so awesome and you've done all this work and you've advanced so much. No, no, no. He says, when I think about you as a church, I don't brag about you. I brag about God. I brag to God about you. So if there's anything uh, working in us as a faith family, if there's anything good in us, so if you look back over the last year of your life and say, I've grown so much. I'm more like Jesus today than I was this time last year. Can we say It is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Nothing good that we've done. You say, Derek, I don't know about that. And Paul, the same guy that's writing this, would agree. In another place, he says, I worked harder than anybody. But it wasn't I. It was the grace of God within me. You see that tension? He goes, I worked hard, and I used my gifts, and I used my passions. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me that was empowering me to do what I could never do on my own. And so let's have that humility as a church that if God's at work, we thank Him. We, let us never rob any of the glory. Let us try never to take any of the credit for what God is at work. In Ephesians chapter 1, I won't read it for the sake of time, but go back and read that this afternoon. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14. Again, you see the triune God in our salvation. The Father elects and the Son purchases and the Spirit applies salvation to us. And it says that that work of the triune God is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Of His grace. That this gospel is about God and about Him getting glory. About Him receiving praise. Not just about us and what we benefit from it. And make no mistake, we benefit greatly from the gospel. We're going to talk about that. But the gospel is first about His praise. It's about his glory. That is why the gospel is good news. 
And so that brings us to our second point. The gospel, see, I'm going quickly. We'll get out of here on time. The gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is good news, not good advice. Let's read um, Colossians 1, verse 5, the last part of verse 5 and verse 6. You have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He says two things about the gospel. He says first in verse 5, the word of the truth, the gospel, and then in verse 6, of the grace of God in truth. And those are interchangeable. The word of God, word of truth, the gospel, and the grace of God in truth, those are the same things. So what we want to say is, listen, the gospel is true. Jesus says, I am the way and the what? The truth and the life. The gospel is fundamentally a, a, an announcement of news. It's not good advice. It's not saying, here's what you need to do to be a better person. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is an announcement that says, here's what has already been done for you. It is the word of truth, of the grace of God. It is finished. I'm telling you what has been accomplished for you in history. It's rooted in the resurrection. It's rooted in the death of Christ for us. You say, Derek, why is that such a big deal? Well, that's why the gospel is central. We are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to save to everyone who believes. It is the truth. And so for some of you here today, and you may not know Jesus, we want to say to you, the gospel is good news of Jesus. That he lived the life we couldn't live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose again, victorious over Satan and over sin. And Jesus is alive today, amen? He's alive today, and he's coming back one day to make all things new. And we can have that good news. How can we be reconciled to God? Only through that gospel, through that good news. Not about our works, but about Jesus' work for us. It's the only way that we can be reconciled to God. And so how do we do that? We must repent. We must turn from our sin and ourself, and we must put faith or trust that Jesus is Savior and He is Lord. He's everything. It is the truth that we herald uh, out and say, this is an announcement of the good news. It's not good advice about how to be better. It's good news about what Christ has done that we might be made new. So the pressure's off. It's not about performing for him. It's about resting in what he's already accomplished. Some of you need to hear that. And that doesn't mean we just sit around and don't pursue. No, we do pursue, but it's out of a heart that's already loved. Not to be loved, but out of love. You see the difference? Like, that's the good news of the gospel. It really is good, and there's nothing in this world that could even come close to it, comparing to it. But then the third point is the gospel is only good for those who know they are bad. This is just a paraphrase of Jesus when he says, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. So the point is, when you know you're sick, you'll go after a doctor, Right? So the gospel is only for people that know they need a Savior. Where where pride must go away. That you have nothing to barter with God. You have nothing to bring to God. And you say, I have nothing. I'm just, I'm sick and I'm destitute. And Romans 3 tells me, listen, that we would never understand that need. And we would never come to the place to understand our brokenness and how much we need the grace of God if apart from 
the gospel, opening up our eyes to see the beauties of Christ. And that's why he says in verse 5, he says this gospel is you have heard it before. You heard the gospel. You heard it. And in verse 6, he says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Listen, the gospel must be heard, and it must be believed, and it must be understood. And so here's the, here's the principle that I want to pull out from this, and we'll move on. But the gospel is only good for those who know they're bad. We'll only know we're bad if we hear it and have a chance to respond to it. That the gospel is the power of God to save, so we need to just herald the gospel. But I want to read Paul again to Romans chapter 10. Throw that verse up on the screen. I want to read this because here's the reality uh, of what's at stake when we talk about the gospel. So hang with me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14 Do you hear what we, the promise that God just made? If you'll call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's the power of God to save. But he poses a dilemma in the next verse. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he'll do what he says he'll do. But how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? They don't hear about the good news of the gospel and what he's accomplished. How can they believe? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So listen, you ask us, I've been asked this question a lot, is why do we always talk about the nations? Why do we always talk about, as a church family, the Great Commission to go to all the nations and proclaim the good news? Why are we about that as a church family? Everything we do is centered around that reality, to make disciples who make disciples among all nations for the joy of all nations. Why do we beat that drum so much? Because of what Paul is writing right here. If they don't believe, there's no salvation. And they can't believe unless they hear about it. They can't hear about it unless someone tells them. And no one will tell them unless they're sent. So we want to send. The harvest is great, but the laborers refuse. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, the church at Colossae was a church at Colossae because someone told them the gospel. Because someone brought the good news to them. They had heard it, and then by God's grace, they understood it. But someone came with it and told them. They, they heard it because someone told them. And so it's only good for those who know they're bad. And I've heard a missionary say that the gospel is only good news if it makes it there on time. Jesus saves. And he's ransomed the people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and language of this world. But he's also chosen the means that he will save those people is from the church to go and tell. And so we go and you see this in this church and so we herald the good news the good news that the lost can be found amen the the blind can see the dead can be raised to life the the slave can be be brought free all by the work of jesus and so we go and herald that 
We don't go and take God's activity to these places. We go and say he is at work and repent and believe the gospel for your salvation. Someone did this to the church at Colossae, and this is what the gospel compels us to do. And that's why the fourth point is the gospel always causes both depth and width. It always causes both. Verse 6 says, This gospel has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. You see that? This gospel has come to you, to you. It's individual. You have repented. You have believed. You have new life. You are growing into Christ-likeness. But it's also growing among the world. That it's not just about what's happening here. It's about what's happening around the world. This was one of the things when I was an unbeliever that caused me to really investigate the claims of Christ is that the gospel is bigger than just the Bible Belt in the South. There's a people, look around, from every tribe, tongue, and language, amen, praising our God. It's bigger. How do you explain that? That it transcends cultures, but yet it speaks to us where we are. That the church is growing and thriving all around this world. As a matter of fact, nations are sending missionaries to us in America. Like this gospel is global. It's big. He's at work. He's calling the people to himself. And let me just remind us, that's always been the purpose. Genesis 1, 28, we read this all the time. In creation, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. See that? Be fruitful. The gospel is bearing fruit, Colossians says. It's multiplying to the whole world, to all nations. I mean, this is the fulfillment of what God said the design of humanity was about, is that this gospel is going to go deep in you. It produces depth. And then the gospel is going to go wide through you. It produces width. You say, which one are we going to be about as a church? Are we going to be about the church that goes deep and studies God's word and is about discipleship and being about like Jesus? And we say, yes, we want to be that. We want to go deep. Well, we're a church that goes wide. We're all about evangelism and reaching people. And we say, you can't have one without the other. The gospel always go deep in us. And then the gospel will, from that depth, go wide through us. It'll always be that way. That's what God has wired it to be. We're committed to both but then lastly the gospel produces spiritual fruit of faith love and hope those three are always together and we see them together here so let's jump back to verse four we always thank god when we pray for you why since we heard of your faith in christ jesus so i'm out of time so i can't unpack all of this like i was wanting to Um, but faith in christ in christ You say, Derek, what is faith? What does it mean to have faith? And this is the way we're closing, so please uh, hang with me. Well, here's what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what faith is. The words will be on the screen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Derek, that didn't help me any. What does that mean? (laughs) Faith in Christ. Faith means this, that you're going to put assurance, conviction, certainty, make your home in, build a foundation on something. Everybody has faith in something. You're putting your confidence and you're resting your hope on something. You say, I don't know about that. Just think about this illustration real quick. If you're driving down the road you've never been on, so some curvy back road and let's pick on Irwin again. You're in Irwin and you're driving, um, sorry Irwin, uh, you're driving down the road and you've never been on this road before and it's pitch dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face, your headlights. It's a real foggy day and you're just taking the turn, taking the turn, the curve. 
you keep moving forward, maybe carefully because you don't really know it's uncharted territory, it's unseen, right? But you keep driving forward. You don't know if there's a big old cinder block wall right around that next turn, do you? You've never been on the road. What if that road, when you take that, that left turn, falls off a cliff? Like, you don't know. You've never been on the road, but yet you keep driving. Why? You've been on roads before, and you just assume that if there was some treacherous obstacle on the other bend, that somebody would have closed the road. You make a future step on something you can't see because you have enough evidence around you that this is the way it's going to be. There's confidence. There's trust in something unseen. So when we say we have faith, we don't just mean arbitrary belief. We mean faith, confidence in what we can't see. We don't see God. Why do we have confidence in who? In Christ. He's the object of our faith. So listen, the object of our faith is more important than the quantity of our faith. If you're here this morning and say, Derek, I don't have a lot of faith. I don't know if I can believe. We would say, it doesn't really matter about how much faith you have. It's just where you put in your faith. Is your faith in yourself? Is your faith in the things around you? Or is your faith in Jesus? You say, I don't know. Put your confidence in what's seen. And you say, I don't know about God. How can I trust someone I have not seen? And we would say, look around. There's evidences of God all around us. His fingerprints, if you will, are everywhere. If you'll just look for him, he's there. And so with Christians, what it means, he said, I thank God for you. Why? Because you have faith in Christ. Not in this world. You have faith in Christ. But then he says, you have a love for others, verse 4b, and the love that you have for all the saints. See, this faith without works is dead. When you have faith in Jesus, when he becomes the object of your trust, it changes the way you live. It changes everything about us. It says, now I'm going to have a love, a sacrificial laying down of myself for the good of others. Love for all the saints, people that aren't like me, that don't think like me. I have a, a supernatural love now for the brothers and sisters that God's called me to. John MacArthur says it like this, the same Jesus who draws all sinners to himself, it's faith in Christ, is the same Jesus who draws all sinners to one another. We are now family. We said it last week, you can't love Jesus and hate his church. If you have faith in Christ, you will have a love. Read 1 John, it's what it's all about. We have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son, and we now have fellowship with one another. There's a love, a sacrificial, laying down our lives for the good of other people. And I thank God for the faith you have in Christ and the love you have for one another. But he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So we have hope. We have hope of eternity. So here's what I mean. Here's what hope is. Hope is not, oh, I hope so. Hope is, no, it's certainly going to happen because it's rooted in this, the promises of God. There's hope of heaven. One day, all of this toil, all this striving will go away and we'll get to be with Jesus. Amen? The resurrection is our hope that we will be raised to life. And I love what he says. That word because is really important. He says, I'm thanking God for your faith in Christ and for your love for one another because of the hope that you have. I think there's a connection there. You say, Derek, how can I love people who are unlovable? By the way, we're all unlovable. Can we just be honest about that? How can I love somebody that's unlovable? How can I continue to endure and have faith? Because I doubt all the time. Anybody doubt with me? I'm a doubter. How can I endure in that? He says, because of hope. This is not the end. 
And if I really believe and hope that this is not my home, I'm a sojourner, I'm an alien, I'm a foreigner, this is not my home, then it frees me up to love. If, see, listen, here's what the culture says. The culture says, get it now and pay later. That's why we're in debt as a culture. We want the things now, we'll pay for it later. But here's what the gospel compels us to say. Hope says, pay now and get it later. You sacrifice now, pour yourself out for the glory of God among the nations. Live in covenant community together and endure with one another for the joy of one another and continue to submit to the truth of God's word to have faith when you can't believe. Why? Because this is not our home. We can endure because of hope that one day all of this is going to be gone. Hope causes those in Christ to sacrifice the present on the basis of the future. Lord, I will gladly spend all things now because my reward is in heaven. I want to live like that. I want want to be able to say that this is part of our church, that we thank God for one another because we see faith and hope and love bearing fruit in us. These things are kind of pop up naturally off of us because we're in Christ. And then that, that fruit would cause us to spill out to all nations on mission to say we want more and more people to believe this gospel and be saved for so more people can have faith in Christ and love for one another and hope uh, of eternity. This is what's at stake. So if you'll bow with me and let's enter into a time of response uh, together this morning. Uh, we're not done because we're bowing our head. We've got, uh, we're going to worship the Lord in song and we're going to rejoice in this good news of the gospel. But I just want to ask ourselves the question as we're leaning in to what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Is, is your life counting for this? That the gospel is good news. It is. It's good news. And it's been done for you. And so is your gospel, is your, the Bible says to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And can you look at your life and say, that's true of my life. It's in a manner worthy of this good news. Because see, we, talk, we didn't get to it today, but we talked about Epaphras. And Epaphras was the one who heard this gospel from Paul and went back to the city of Colossae and shared the gospel with his friends and family. And they began to come to faith in Christ and a church was planted as a result of one man's obedience to take the gospel back to his hometown and preach the gospel. He says he's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. The word servant literally is translated slave. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of Jesus. I live for him, not for myself. So is your life counting uh, for that? Could you say that that is the, the, the bullseye of my life? I'm faithfully serving and I'm a slave to this glorious mission of God. And so we want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do this in our church, to unite us around these things. So for some of us who are here and you don't know Jesus, and you came, God brought you here today to let you hear the good news of the gospel and be saved. And we would say, what is keeping you from trusting Jesus? To put faith in him, to have your hope in him. So we just invite you now, right in your seat, to turn from your sin and put faith in Jesus because he's worth it. If you don't know what that means, if you still have more questions, we would love to talk to you after this service. We'd love for you to come back and, and let's have a conversation about what it means to, for you to follow Jesus. Don't leave here today if you do not know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
And for the rest of us, we want to say, has the gospel lost its awe to us? This news that it's been done, it's been finished. He's purchased it for us, that we can rest. So Father, we as your kids come now and we praise you. We ask that you would come and do this, that you would produce this fruit in us, that you really would be all to us, that you'd be everything to us. We believe, help our unbelief. Lord, would your glory fill the earth, all the earth would shout your praise, the praise of your name and your name alone. So Lord, I pray for all of us, God, that we would do business with you, that we would be changed by the truths of your message this morning. So receive the praise of your people now as we sing these true things to you uh, together. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand, let's respond by singing God's word out together.